Can you identify with the girl in that clip? Anybody here have a lot of feelings? It's okay if you do. It's okay if you do. Crave, how are we doing tonight? <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Many of you fell right into my trap, so thank you for setting up where I'm going to start the message. <clears throat> I think the most frequent lie we tell is, I'm good. And if you've got your handouts, which we have back tonight, uh, that's your first blank. The most frequent lie we tell is, I'm good. You'll pass somebody in the hall at school, or maybe you'll see them in the grocery store or running around downtown. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. And you just keep moving about your day. And it's the most frequent lie we tell because you'll tell somebody you're good when your life seems like it's falling to pieces. I'm too blessed to be stressed, brother. But you're going through hell. Like, that's, that's how you feel. You, you think that your life is coming to an end. And, and you feel like the spiritual forces of the enemy are coming against you and everyone is opposed to you and everybody wants to rip you down. But I'm good. It's a lie that we tell. And I sometimes wonder, are we trying to convince those other people? Are we trying to convince ourselves? We prefer, I think, with our relationships to, to keep things kind of up here on the surface level because probably you're thinking, well, I don't want to tell somebody, yeah, everything at home is awful, school is awful, lost my job, that's how I'm doing. It's just easier and safer, we think, to just go, well, I'm good. And it's not necessarily true. We think it's safer in these relational shallows, but the reality is if we can't push into the depths of what's really going on in our lives, that, that's where we're going to have some issues. That's where it's actually dangerous is to hang out in this shallow relational place. Now, the girl in that opening video, she had a lot of feelings, and, and somewhere along the way, I think that we've begun to lampoon having feelings. Having feelings is wrong somehow. Guys in particular, we feel like we have to be tough, right? You've been told your whole life, guys, rub some dirt in it, walk it off, suck it up, be a man, right? And I'm just, I want to submit to you young men that that's, that's perhaps very damaging language. Sometimes we have feelings that we just don't know what to do with, and that's okay, and that's normal. Or ladies, you may fear of being labeled hysterical or emotional, like women already get that rap for, for having more emotions than guys, and really it's just that us guys don't know how to properly process a lot of the time. And, but if I, as, as a young lady, start sharing my emotions, oh, you know how she is. She's one of those hysterical girls. And so we just, we operate up here in this, well, I'm good, I'm fine, everything's great. And we lie. We lie with our words. We lie with our social media. I see most of your social medias. <gasps> yes, even your spams. I know. And you, <laughs> you don't follow my spam. You'll never find me. I'll find you. Um, but what you put on social media, you just came off a of spring break, you're at the beach. Oh, look at my awesome life at the beach. Or look at me hanging out with all these cool people. Look at me doing all these things. And it paints a picture of your life that does actually seem pretty good. But inside, there's turmoil. And there's things that you just don't know how to deal with. And it's important that we address these things. Because if left unchecked, if we just bottle it up, some of you know this is who you are. You just push it down, push it down, push it down, push it down, and eventually what happens? 
You blow up, and usually it's not even like a big deal. They forgot to put a straw in your bag in the drive-thru. How dare you? You're like coming through the window. And it's not about the straw, and it's not about the drive-thru. It's about these 17 other things that you've just mashed down and never dealt with. And hear me say this, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old students, if you can learn to process through some of these things now instead of in your 30s like I am, you're going to be so much better set up for your careers, for your marriages, for your parenthood. So we've got to deal with it, and it can be a little bit uncomfortable. You know what else is uncomfortable? Silence. And we're going to have 30 seconds of silence. If, if you have a handout, great. If you don't, that's fine. But number two on your handout tonight is this. How are you really? Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop talking for 30 seconds, and I just want you to really think through this. And there's a blank there, and I realize you're sitting beside some people, and maybe if you write something, then they're, they're like peeking on your paper, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this about this person. You can write in code, you can write in Klingon, you can put an abbreviation, whatever you want to do. But I want you to take 30 seconds. I want you to be honest. There's no one to impress or lie to. How are you really? Think about it. Now, just to give you a heads up, your small group leader is going to ask you that same question tonight when you get together. And before you panic and create an excuse to leave before small group, you can share as much as or as little as you feel comfortable with. But I want to encourage you to be able to answer honestly, hey, things are tough. Hey, things are hard. Now, if you're here tonight and you're like, my life is pretty good. Should I be more concerned? Like, I'm not trying to give you a complex. It's okay if things are actually good right now. But it's also something we need to deal with when it's, when it's not. And here's something I know about everybody in this room, regardless of whether things actually are good or they're terrible right now. I know that we all have a desire to know and be known. That's number three on your handout. We all have a desire to know and be known. Even the most introverted person in this room, you have a desire to connect. And that's because we were created for community. This is a one-off message, and you guys know that anytime I'm not in a series and I can just talk about whatever, I'm very tempted to talk about community, our, our need to belong and be together. And so, of course, we're touching on it, but you desire to know and be known. Like, you, you want that in your life, whether you admit it or not, whether you're even aware of it or not. And there's really two facets to that, and so there's an A and a B on your handout. You desire to know and be known by God. Even if you came in here hostile to the gospel, you're just here to hang out, you're not really sure about this whole Jesus thing, somewhere deep down inside of you, you have a desire to connect with God. You, you do. You're wired for that. And you want to know, does he know me? Like, do I matter to the cosmic God of the universe? Here's the good news. Yes, he does know you. Everything about you, every past mistake, current struggle, future failure, God knows that. 
If you, if you turn to Psalm 139, it's a life-changing passage of Scripture. We'll only put one verse up on the screen for you tonight, but Psalm 139.1 says this, O Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. Now, for some of us, that freaks us out, like, oh no, but you can't delete your browser history with God, like that's not how it works. He knows where you've been. He knows where you're at and where you're going. And this whole chapter continues to talk about how it's God who puts you together. Everything you've ever struggled with, he was right there and he knows. So you don't have to be ashamed or embarrassed. You can take that to God. That's good news. He does know you. And even better news is he can be known by you. Like you can get to know God. So many of us are just like, man, if I could just if I could just know God better, my life would be transformed. James 4.8, James, the brother of Jesus, says this, come close to God and God will come close to you. That's a promise. If you honestly, genuinely, passionately seek relationship with God, he's not going to play peekaboo or hide from you. He's not into some cosmic game of hide and seek. He is right there waiting to be found by us if we'll just search for him. But I wonder, do we, do we really express how much we want to know God? Think about when you first start dating somebody. Y'all remember that magical first couple weeks or days? You hang up first. No, you hang up first. No, let's just fall asleep listening to each other breathe on the phone. Okay. Right? You're sending sweet text messages. I just want to know everything about you. And then after a while, you're like, okay, maybe not that much. But... You know what I'm talking about? When the, when the relationship is new and fresh, it's exciting. You can't wait to know more about that cute boy. He smells kind of good. Like maybe he does actually shower. I don't know. Or, or guys, you're just like, my gosh, she, she looked at me. She talked to me. This is wonderful. And you want to know everything you can know about that person. And that's great. I affirm that. But I'm also saying to you, we should have that same drive and that same desire to know God. And I just think we kind of take God for granted. Now think about that same cute boy, that same cute girl. If you start taking them for granted, you know what they're going to do? They're going to find somebody who cares and, and continues to pursue them. They're not going to continue to date you. You have to continue to, to pursue relationships. And this is not in my notes at all, but hey, one day, if and when you get married, you have to still continue to pursue. You can't just put a ring on it and be like, cool, done. No, that's not how real love works. And for some of us, I'm just afraid that we had an emotional experience at camp, or we dedicated our life to Jesus at Adventure Week, and those are great things, but you're stale. There's nothing fresh or new. You're not continuing to try to know God. When's the last time you sat down and read your Bible? When's the last time you had a dedicated prayer time undistracted? Kevin, why do you always talk about these two things? Because they're the building blocks of a relationship with God. He can be known by you if you'll just search for him. Now, the other thing is we want to know and be known by others. That's B on your handout. We want to know others. We, we want to be known by them. And so I just want to ask you to think for a moment about the depth of your relationships. Is there any depth? Or do you just stay up here in the, yeah, I'm good. How are you? Good? Okay, great. If that's the extent of the depth of your relationships... I've got to believe you're exhausted and you're very lonely and you're terrified to have anybody find out about who you really are inside. And I just want to invite you tonight to let down your guard and put those walls aside and let somebody in. Let somebody really know you 
Be honest tonight in group instead of saying, yeah, you know, I, you know he, he joked, but really I am good. Maybe you just need to say, hey, you know what? Here's this thing that I've just, I've had no idea what to do with. Can you help me with it? Can you pray for me about this? Can you be here for me in this? Now, a key part of this is also doing the same for others. Some of us are just takers. We want somebody to always be there for us, but we're not great at actually listening to what's going on in their lives. And the sad reality is there are people all around us who are hurting, and they need somebody to take an interest beyond just the, yeah, I'm good. Sometimes we're like, mm, I, I know they're really not, but I don't, I don't want to push and it be awkward. If you want to have real, healthy, good, Christ-centered relationships, it will sometimes be awkward. It just will. And so maybe there's that person, even as I'm talking about this, you're like, you know what? I know they're wrestling with something. I need, to, I need to have a conversation with that person. Do it. Do it. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 10. He says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. It is hard to love someone with genuine affection at an arm's length. It just is. If you don't know somebody, it's hard to really love them and honor them the way that they should be. And Paul says this in Galatians 6, too. I love this verse. If you've got something you want to highlight, underline, star tonight, it would be this. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. You have things that you're trying to carry and they are crushing you. You need to let somebody come alongside you and help lighten that load. And on the flip side, there are people in your life who are dying under the burden of what they're carrying and they need you to come alongside them and help out. Easy for you to say, Kevin, right? You're a pastor. You've got it all together. You've got this whole Jesus thing figured out. You're a professional Christian. Any of you who have spent any amount of time with me know that's not true. But that's what we fall into this trap at church. Like, I have to have it all together at church to be God's people. I can't have problems. False. Join me in your Bibles tonight, 1 Kings chapter 19. I want to look at one of my favorite people in all of Scripture, Elijah. 1 Kings 19 is where we're going to be tonight, but as you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of background on who Elijah is and how he shows up on the scene. There's not a lot of preamble. If you actually were to flip back to 1 Kings 17, it says that Elijah uh, was from Tishbe and Gilead, and he was a prophet, and he just shows up and stuff starts happening. The first thing that happens is uh, he tells this wicked king, his name's Ahab, his wife's name's Jezebel, they're quite a pair. But God sends Elijah, he shows up and says, guess what? It's not going to rain for a long, long time. And you're like, that doesn't seem like a big deal. Anybody struggling with the pollen right now? Boy, that rain was nice this weekend, wasn't it? Just kind of clear things out. Now imagine if it didn't rain for three and a half years. We've got bigger problems than pollen. We've got livestock issues. We've got crop issues. We've got all kinds of issues. And that's what happens. Elijah prays it doesn't rain for three and a half years. He goes into the wilderness and God starts feeding him from wild birds. Like imagine a bird just shows up ah, and it drops you some food. That's some crazy, miraculous God stuff. That's what happens in 1 Kings 17. He winds up connecting with this widow and her son. And he lives with them. And God miraculously provides for them. And then her son dies. And Elijah prays, and he comes back to life. And that's just the first chapter that we have on Elijah. Pretty miraculous. 1 Kings 18 is 
arguably the coolest showdown in all of the Bible. And I don't have time to go into every detail of it with you, but there are 850 false prophets who have this showdown with Elijah on the top of a mountain with the entire country around the base of the mountain watching. He says, let's prove out who's the real God. And he's kind of sarcastic. He tells them maybe their God can't hear him because he's pooping. That's real. It's in there, I promise. And then at the end of that confrontation, he prays and God sends literal fire from heaven and burns up the offering, which is soaked in water. And all the people see it and they come back to God and they seize the false prophets and they kill them. The Bible's not exactly PG all the time. Okay, you need to know that. Incredible experience. You're like, wow, 1 Kings 18 is awesome. It's not even over. Then he says to Ahab, the wicked king, hey, guess what? It's going to rain. And he goes and he prays, and it hasn't rained in three and a half years, and then it rains. And it's still not over because he tells him, go back, go back to your wicked wife. And then the Bible says that he hikes up his robe, tucks it into his belt, and outruns the chariot back to the city, which was at least 17 miles, maybe closer to 30. This man supernaturally, through the power of God, outran a chariot. And you got to believe the king had some pretty good horses. Pretty strong 1 Kings 18, right? That's where we pick it up in 1 Kings 19, verses 1 and 2. We'll put it on the screen for you. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. Kind of a lot, remember. Including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Okay, Jezebel's not super happy because Elijah has stepped up in a big way for God and all the people have seen it and he killed all of her pet prophets. So she's upset and she sends a message. I'm going to get you. Let's keep going. Verse 3. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Why is Elijah afraid? He's seen so many miraculous things. You and I have both said stuff like, man, if I could just experience some of this biblical God, these miraculous things, fire has fallen from heaven. He's been fed in the wilderness. He has literally brought somebody back to life who was dead. And this wicked queen says, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, well, that's a wrap. And he runs away into the wilderness. He leaves his servant even further isolated and just picture him, if you can, in this desert under this tree. And he says, God, just kill me. I don't want to live anymore. Maybe you felt that. The unfortunate reality is we've seen people, not just in our country, not just in our county, but right here in this city, take their lives. And not even just adults, but people that you've walked right past in the hall at school. I am aware of how sensitive that is, and I know how difficult that is. And maybe you've known multiple people who have taken that path. It's hard, and it's heavy. And we say things like, I had no idea. If I'd have only known, what could I have done? I just want to submit to you that, A, it's not your fault. It never is. B, 
there are people hurting around you who need you. Not me, not Jacob, not Robson. They need you to step up and love them and speak words of life and truth and revival and Jesus and affirmation over them. Here's Elijah who's seen miraculous things and all of a sudden he runs away? Why? Have you ever just had a really terrible day? No, see, have you ever had a bad day where just like nothing goes right and by lunchtime you're just like, this is the worst. I don't, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be at school. I don't want to be at work. I don't want to be wherever. I, like, I just wish it was, we'll say flippantly, like, I just wish it was over. And that's where Elijah is. And it's, it's scary. And yet, God is faithful. He, he shows up and he speaks. Look at verse 5. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones in a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. I'm not making light of the situation, but I want you to hear me. I, re- I mean this very seriously. What did Elijah do? He took a nap. He had something to eat. Do not underestimate the power of a good nap or a good snack. Some of you, and I... I mean this dead serious. You stay up till like 3 o'clock in the morning all the time because you don't think there's enough hours in the day. I've got homework or this is the only time my buddies can play video games or you're just scrolling endlessly on social media. You need to get some sleep. Like just for everybody in this room, from the oldest to the youngest, you know what would really help you no matter what you're going through right now? If you got a good night's sleep. Seriously. It'd be wonderful. You remember when you were a little kid and you hated taking naps? My two-year-old son's like, naps, no! I'm an adult, I'm like, naps, yes! This is great! Maybe you just need a nap. Hey, maybe you're hangry. Anybody just want a safe place? You get hangry, like you're awful to be around when you're hungry? Bro, pack a snack. Like a Lunchable or a pocket hot dog or whatever you're into. Like just, just have something. Get a, I don't know, pocket dog, you know, it's a thing. Um, for Elijah, that's what happens. And actually, if you keep reading further down, which we don't have time for, after he eats, you know what he does? He takes another nap. And then you know what he does after that? He has another snack. Like, this man is living. Now, God is supernaturally preparing him to have this wild trip into the desert where he's going to commune with God in a cave, and I would highly encourage you, go read more of that because God is faithful. When Elijah's at the end of his rope, God shows up and meets him and speaks to him and encourages him and gives him the strength to carry on his ministry for some time. I don't, I don't know where you're at. You know, maybe it is kind of a joke like, oh, I just, you know, I need a nap or I need a snack, but maybe you're like, you know what, I've tried those things, Kevin, and I'm just still not okay. The last thing for your handout tonight, and what I want you to hear me say, maybe above all else tonight, is it's okay to not be okay. You do not have to have everything together in your life to come in here and be a part of what we're doing at Crave. It's okay to not be okay. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be polished. You don't have to have it all together. It's okay to not be okay. Now, it's not okay to stay that way. If you are aware of the fact, man, there's some things jacked up in my life, there's some things I'm struggling with, I've got some sin issues, I've got some brokenness, 
If you know that, don't stay in that. Take a step. But now on top of that, I want to say to all of us, there are some people around us who they want to take that step, but they don't know how. Like it's easy in condemnation to look at somebody and go, I mean, you should just do X, Y, and Z. And maybe they know that, but they're just struggling with, okay, how do I implement this? And that's where you can come in. You can step in and radically know someone's life and speak those words of affirmation and love and encouragement. Encouragement is a gift from God that we give away freely to others. And I just want to tell you two things. Your small group leaders who come here week after week and give their time over years and years, they're here for you. Talk with them. Let me give a plug for something else called the landing, which means on Thursday nights at 6.30, if you've got habits, hurts, hang-ups, self-harm, stuff like that going on in your life, that's a place you can go where they're going to talk specifically about some of those things. They want to help you. Thursday night, 6.30, up in the main building. Life is hard. If you ever thought it was all sunshine and rainbows, I'm really sorry, but it's just not how it is. And this past year has been especially hard for a lot of us. Yes, there's all these things going on in the world, but we've been isolated and we've been alone. And I just want to submit to you that if you allow yourself to continue in that isolation, it's going to get worse. When they put people in prison and they want to punish them especially, what do they do? They put them in solitary confinement. To be alone is not good. And you can be surrounded by people. You can be sitting in the dead middle of this group of rows and be completely alone. Who do you need to talk to? What do you need to share? What do you need to get off your chest and just say, can you help me? And maybe that needs to start with God. Maybe you just need to pray and say, I know you already know this, but I'm hurting. And there is something cathartic about just sharing with God. Hear me say this. Prayer is as much for you as it is for God. He already knows before you say it. But it is healthy and helpful just to say that out loud. I want to leave you with a, a couple final verses. Um, the band's going to get ready to come and, and, and play a song. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Maybe you're here tonight and you, just, you feel so brokenhearted over things in your family or things in this world or things in your community or school. Hey, God's not going to abandon you in that. Maybe you feel crushed by the weight of everything you're carrying, the stress, the anxiety, the depression, the shame, the guilt. God is near to you in that. You are not alone. And look around this room. There's a lot of people here who want to help you take steps. You're not alone. But life's never going to be perfect. Jesus says this. This is uh, part of the farewell discourse. And actually, later this year, we're going to walk through the entirety of the farewell discourse, John 13 through 17. But in John 16, 33, Jesus says, Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The things that we wrestle with and deal with in this life are real, but they're not ultimate. Jesus is. Now, Jesus has a very real enemy, but he's not his equal opposite. And, and while I'm not one to see a, a demon lurking behind every bush, I want you to understand there is an enemy who hates you and opposes you and wants you to take none of the steps we've talked about tonight. John 10.10 10 says he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. 
And Jesus says, I've come to have life. I've come so you can know that you can overcome through me, through my blood, through my sacrifice. If you're here tonight, you don't know Jesus, I want to encourage you to get curious. Take a step. Ask your small group leader. Ask me. Ask somebody in your small group. Hey, tell me more about Jesus. What's it like to follow him? What's that look like? And to my Christian brother and sister who you've taken that step, but honestly, you're stale and you're in this dry, dusty desert. Maybe you're sitting under this tree going, I just don't even know what to do. I'm kind of, I want to tap out. I just want to encourage you. Keep going. Don't be alone in your struggle. Talk to somebody. Now, it can be me. It can be one of our staff. It can be your small group leader. It can be a parent when you get home. Don't be alone in this. I really believe God wants to do something special with this group. I've been talking about it with your small group leaders and my friends. and That's got to start with us being honest about where we are. So I'm going to pray. The band will sing. If you want to sing with them, great. If you want to pray, great. If you need to go out and pray and talk, do that. Okay, let me pray for us. God, thank you for seeing us, knowing us, and loving us for making yourself available to be known by us. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for the hope and the affirmation and the love and the life that we find in your son, Jesus. God, for those in this room who are far from you, I pray that you would draw them near. God, for those who are hurting and they feel crushed and they're under a heavy burden, God, would you help them to see they are not alone. You love them, you are with them, you are for them, not against them. God, you have surrounded them with people to love them well, to help share the burden. Would you give each of us courage to take whatever our step is? God, you know our step. Give us conviction and courage to take it. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.